Welcome to week three. We are in a series called Open Doors. And we just believe as a church that we're actually in a season of open doors. And I don't think it's just our church. I think the Lord is up to something really uh, across the United States and really across the world, that there is an open door to the heavens right now and that we are going to experience uh, really Book of Acts type ministry. And so we are looking actually through the Book of Acts. We're looking at that first church and we're asking the question, what type of church, what type of people, what type of person will God open doors for? And uh, so we, we, we've, we have studied that God opens doors for people who pray. We've studied that God opens doors for people who fear the Lord. And today I want to talk to you about God opens doors for people who are on mission. Recently, uh, my family and I, we went to a Braves game. We paid 50 bucks to park about two miles away from the stadium. So that was awesome. And uh, when the game was over and everyone was filing out of the stadium, it was like a a sea of people, like we're all just being herded in one direction. I'm talking thousands of people shoulder to shoulder, slowly walking <laughs> and being filed out of the park. And funny enough, my wife Ashton and I, we actually had the exact same thought. We were like, is this what Judgment Day is going to be like? A massive sea of people heading towards their eternal destiny. And uh, so um, here, when you think about eternity, when you think about Judgment Day, I mean, it's a sobering thought. And if and I've, I've heard a pastor talk about, you know, if heaven is real and hell is real, then what we're doing is of the utmost importance. Eternity is important and we're heading towards eternity. Everybody that's living is heading in that direction. So uh, let me give you some good news first. It's estimated that right now in the world, there are over one million souls every week that are being born again around the world. There's actually a great harvest of people coming to Christ right now, and most notably in Africa, China, and Iran. Uh, you know, China and Iran, you wouldn't think it, but lots of people, God is just doing something special there, and people are being saved. That's good news. Uh, but here is maybe some hard news. This is the truth, that there are 5 billion people on this planet who don't know Christ. Pastor Larry Stockstill he always uses this illustration to kind of stimulate our thinking about what 5 billion people could possibly look like. He says, if you were to line 5 billion people up in a single line, one right in front of the other, if you were to start right here on the stage and uh, head out towards Nashville and head west and go around uh, towards California and you would come, that line would go all the way from here head west, it would come all the way back east and come right back here on this stage. A, a line completely around the world of people. But that line wouldn't go around the world once or twice or 10 times or 20 times, but actually 37 times that line would stretch around the world at the equator. 37 lines of people that don't follow Jesus. So there are about 7 billion people in the world, approximately 24,000 people groups. Of those 12,000 people groups are considered to be reached, meaning that there is an established evangelical church in that, uh, for that group of people. But then there are 12,000 people groups that represent 2.2 billion people that are considered unreached. 
that there is no established evangelical presence there. So my question is, what do you think is on God's heart today? What do you think he's thinking about? I think he's thinking about those 37 lines. I think he's thinking about those 12,000 unreached people groups. And you say, well, why doesn't God do something about it? He has. <laughs> he has done something about it. First of all, through creation, the Bible says his invisible attributes can be detected through nature. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us the nature for revelation. He's given us the written word to reveal who he is to mankind. Jesus came, the ultimate revelation of God's love and who he is, came for humanity to be reconciled to God. And then the Holy Spirit and the church are active agents in the world, and they are both called witnesses to what the Father has already accomplished through the Son. What is God's answer to the 37 lines around the world? It's you. It's me. It's us. It's his church. This is what he's given us to do. This is our mission, and it has to grip our hearts. Acts 1, 6, 9 says this, So they had come together, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus gave a mission to the disciples. They were being sent into the world just as he was sent by the Father. Now he's sending him, them. They were to start, he says, right where you're at, right here in Jerusalem, start right here. And then it's going to expand to Judea and Samaria, surrounding areas. Then he says to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you follow the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens. The book of Acts chronicles the mission of the disciples, right? In Acts 2, the spirit of Pentecost comes and falls. Where does it fall? In the city of Jerusalem. And immediately Peter stands up and he proclaims the gospel and 3,000 people are saved, and the church is established in Jerusalem on that day. And it's great, and it explodes, and it's growing, and it's wonderful, but then persecution comes. Persecution starts happening, and when that happens, the Bible says that the, 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 some of the disciples, some of the people following Jesus were scattered at that moment. They were scattered. And you know where they were scattered to? The Bible tells us they were scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. And it says they preached as they went. They witnessed as they left that area. It tells about people like Philip who preaches to the Samaritans. And then the apostles come and lay their hands on the Samaritans and the Spirit falls on them just like it had on the original disciples in Jerusalem. Then in Acts 12, the book shifts its focus. It moves, uh, it's like the lens of the camera moves over and it shifts to a guy named the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And by the time you get to Acts, Paul is in Rome as a witness for Jesus. Rome is 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. So you see, it started with a small group in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said it would. 
and then it rapidly expands out to Judea and Samaria, and then we end with Paul and Rome, and Paul has his sights set on Spain, because in his mind, Spain is the end of the earth, and he's trying to get the gospel there. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He shoves us out into the world as witnesses. You know, there's a text where uh, Jesus says, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out workers. And that word send out, it's actually a violent word. It's cast out. Pray that the Father will cast out workers into the fields. And I found that's what the Holy Spirit has to do with us sometimes. He has to, he has to give us a little nudge in the back. You know what I'm saying? And he has to say, come on, go, go, go. When the Spirit comes upon the disciples, they go. Here's my question. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Yeah, why did you receive the Holy Spirit? Why was the Spirit given? So that we can have better church services? So that we can have goosebumps when they sing our favorite song? I love all those things as much as the next person. But let me tell you why the Spirit was given. It was given to give you power so you can be a witness. It was given to give you power so you can be a witness. Surely you are called to be a witness. Following Jesus is about following Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That means Jesus is going somewhere. That means if Jesus is, is, is leading somewhere and he is going to take you somewhere, following Jesus means you're following him wherever he goes. You ever felt like your relationship with the Lord isn't going anywhere? You're just stuck on a treadmill of religious duties? Well, you're not alone. A lot of people feel that way. But here's the truth. Jesus wants to lead you somewhere. And that somewhere is really a someone. It's some people. Following Jesus, it's not about just having a bunch of Bible knowledge and knowing right doctrine. And I'm a doctrine guy. I study doctrine. I love it. It's very important, but it's not the main thing. And you know what? Uh, following Jesus is not just about having a safe life where we're so blessed and we're protected and, 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 and uh, we have all of our needs provided for and we just live a happy, safe life. I'm thankful for the blessing. I'm a very blessed person. But being blessed is not the main reason I'm following Jesus. You see, we're following Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus was safe in heaven. Before the incarnation, he was in a good place. He was in a safe place. But Jesus leaves his safe place. Jesus in heaven. Oh, man, talk about having knowledge. I'd say Jesus had knowledge, all knowledge. But he leaves heaven and he comes to earth and he empties himself. Jesus was safe. Jesus had everything he ever could have needed in heaven. But he had something else on mind, on his mind. He had a mission. And that mission was to seek and to save the lost. He leaves things behind to follow the mission. And his mission must become our mission. The church is ineffective when we lose sight of the mission. We're just going through what we know is right to do, but we lose the reason for why we're doing it. And the reason for why we're doing everything that we do is to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. And we're just in a season where we can no longer rely on the model of church where it's one highly gifted leader or a few really gifted people. And we all get together in a room and the whole church is about what the guy can do on the platform and what the people can sing like. And listen, I believe in good leadership. I believe in strong leadership. This is what I've given my life to. I'm not trying to get myself out of a job here. 
But when I read the New Testament, I realize that a method built around one person and a few people will never get the job done. That it will never get the job done in Chattanooga. A, a couple of really gifted people that everybody comes and looks at on a Sunday. No, the, 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 the world is so big. There's so many people to be reached. We need something that can multiply faster than everybody just coming to see one person. Everybody to, to hear the ingenuity and creativity of one person. And, and that type of model, it turns the church into an audience. It turns the people into just spectators. And this was never meant to be a spectator sport. When we gather, we come to worship Jesus. We have to gather. We have to be fed by the word and taught by the word. But the reason we gather is to be filled up so that we can go out. Because we're all called to be missionaries. You don't have to travel around the world to be a missionary. God has called you on mission right where you're at right in your neighborhood, right at your school, right at your work. He has called you into missions. It's not just about getting to heaven. If getting to heaven were the only goal for God in your life, then God, as soon as you got saved, God should have just taken you on home. He left you here. Why are you still here? If it's just to get to heaven, why are you still here? He's got something for you to do. He's got something for you to accomplish with your kingdom. Oh, it's not just about with his kingdom. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about bringing heaven to the little spot, the little square footage of earth that you occupy. You're called to bring heaven to that place. Rick Warren says it like this. God has kept us here on earth to fulfill a purpose. We won't be able to do better in heaven. Think about that. God has kept us here on earth to fulfill a purpose that we won't be able to better fulfill in heaven. Okay? The moment we take our last breath here and the moment we go to heaven, there are actually some things we do here that we are also going to do there. When we take our last breath here and we get there, guess what? We're still going to worship in heaven. We're still going to sing in heaven. We're still going to lift our hands and shout in heaven. Except in heaven, it's going to be better. It's going to be so much better. We get to join with the saints and the angels and we get to see God like and we'll be in such awe and wonder of who he is. So we can worship here, but we're also going to worship in heaven and it's going to be better. We can fellowship here and I'm for fellowship. C group days come on this week. I'm happy for C groups at the church. It's important. But think about the fellowship we're going to have in heaven. Man, you're not just going to get to fellowship with your loved ones that you love, but I'm ready to sit down and talk to Abraham. I want to know, like, dude, what was that like when God told you to sacrifice Isaac? You know, I'm I'm ready. I got some questions for the people in the New Testament. You know, what was that like, you know, to, to be there on that day, Peter, when you saw Jesus being crucified? Like, there's going to be amazing fellowship in heaven. It's going to be wonderful. But you know what? I'll be able to do that. I'm doing that here. I'll do that there. But let me tell you one thing you won't be able to do when you get to heaven. One thing when you get there, you'll never be able to do again. And that is to be a witness to a lost world about Jesus. We got a short amount of time while we're walking here on this planet to to, to take up our cross and follow Jesus and join him in his mission. Follow him into the world. Follow him wherever he's going. There are no more chances there to show someone the love of Christ, to demonstrate the power of God, to tell someone about Jesus. All of that must be accomplished here. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, the Spirit's going to come upon you and you will be 
my witnesses. Notice it doesn't say, and you will do witnessing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will do witnessing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, you're gonna go door to door and witness. (laughs) And listen, I'm not against that because God uses that and I'm thankful for the people that do that. But I just wanna show you there's a difference between doing witnessing and being a witness. There's actually a big difference because doing witnessing is simply an action that you can turn on and turn off when you want to. But being a witness is an identity. It's who you are. It's who you are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're a witness at work. You're a witness at home. You're a witness at the grocery store. You're a witness on social media. Your whole life takes on this identity that I exist as a living testimony that there is a man named Jesus who lived a sinless life, died a criminal's death so that I could have eternal life, and he was resurrected on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And how do I know that? Because I know him and because he changed my life. Listen, I don't think we are called to contrive or force people into following Jesus. We're actually just called to simply be witnesses, which is actually very relieving today. Okay, so the Bible, especially like the book of John, it, the Bible, is, it, it often portrays like a giant courtroom scene. And Jesus is on trial before the world. The world is the jury, and the world has to decide what they're going to do with Jesus. Are they going to render a verdict that he is the Son of God? Or are they going to render a verdict that, no, he's a liar? Everything, he's just deceiving people? Or are they going to render a verdict that he was just a raving lunatic in his day? But Jesus is on trial. God the Father is judge. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the defense attorney representing Jesus. And he also represents you, by the way. And Satan is the prosecuting attorney. All right? And you and I, you know what all we're called to do? We're simply called to take the stand. And we're called simply to be witnesses in the courtroom. It's not the witness's job to convince the jury. Let me say that again. It is not the witness's job to convince the jury. The lawyers are the one who put all the pieces together to make the case. The lawyers are the one, they get paid the big bucks, right? To convince the jury. You and I, we're just one witness. And it's simply our job to be witnesses and let the Holy Spirit put the case together. We're just simply to tell what Jesus has done in our life. And if he's done in our life, he can do it in your life. And the Holy Spirit takes, somehow the Holy Spirit takes that witness and he causes it to, 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 to bring people to salvation. We join in the mission of Jesus. Now, as a witness, there are a couple of things that matter. I, I want to say we, we have to preach with our words. It's, it's not just about a lifestyle, it's about our words. But I don't want to discount lifestyle because lifestyle is important. There are, there, are some, there are some keys about you being a witness that you must understand today, okay? These are keys to leading people to Christ. Number one, as a witness, your life is supposed to spark interest in others about Christ. As you mature in your faith, the people around you, the people around you should be able to see, hey, there's something different about this person. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. So listen, this is your growth is supposed to lead to their interest. 
And that's supposed to lead to questions. And that's supposed to lead them to the answer you have in Christ. Okay? Someone shared with me just this week where they work. That a coworker came to them and they said, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about you. You're kind. You're very kind. Oh, that's the Holy Spirit, you see. That's the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And, you know, the, the person said, oh, I'm, I, let me tell you, I'm not that great. I'm not that great of a person, but I can tell you why you think I'm different. And it's because of Jesus. And they got to share and witness to this person who's living a very ungodly lifestyle and wants nothing to do with church. But because of their life, they were able, it sparked questions and they were able to share the gospel. That's what it's all about. All right, that's the first key. Here's the second key. Your life is supposed to silence the criticism of others. Hey, we're living in a day where we're going to be criticized for what we believe. What's wrong is right now what right, and what's uh, right is wrong. It's just we live in a, a postmodern society. But here's what, uh, again, First Peter says this. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live. Because you belong to Christ. Okay, listen, people are going to, we're at a point now in our nation, they're going to speak against us. They're not going to like what we stand for. But, that, that, but may they not like what they stand for, but may they never be able to say, look how they live. They don't live how they, you know, our lifestyle should silence the critics. You might not like what we stand for, but look at our lives. Look at the way we live. The way we live our lives should be telling a better story you know, the world has its own way of flourishing. The world says, be your authentic self, be your true self, be who you want to be. And that's how you're going to flourish is when you have full autonomy of self. But we say, no, we are not fully autonomous selves, that we belong to Christ. We're a slave to Christ and we're a slave to our fellow brothers and sisters. And we don't put ourselves first. We lay ourselves down and let's see which lifestyle produces a better life. The way we live should silence the critics. Here's the third one. Your life should establish the validity of your message. Kind of in the same vein. But listen, it's pretty easy. You can't preach about God like the devil, okay? You can't tell everybody about the Lord but live like the devil. I saw this example and I thought it was so good. Um, so let's say, let's say you had a chance to share your faith with everybody in the world. Somehow, seven billion people get to hear you tell them about Jesus. That would be awesome. What a great opportunity. But here's the truth about that opportunity. Only a few people would know if you were really telling the truth or not. Only a handful of people in your sphere of influence that you see every day would know whether or not, oh yeah, that guy's a real deal or that woman's a real deal. What she's saying, they live it. Only a few people would know because they see it in your life. All right? God wants to use you today as a witness. And here's the good thing about being a witness. Like I said, you're not the only witness. Do you know that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is a witness? So you're a witness, but the Holy Spirit is a witness. And I want to tell you, when we go out into the world to share the gospel, I want to tell you that long before you ever went to be a witness, the Holy Spirit beat you to it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was already there preparing people's hearts to hear what you have to say. You're, we're not in this alone. The Spirit of God was, is with us, and He, uh, through His providence, is preparing people's hearts. Now, this is, such a, this is such a cool example, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard of Epimenides, all right? The story of Epimenides. 
he, uh, an ancient Athenian, all right? The city of Athens, right, in Greece. So in the history of the city of Athens, there's a story about a time when there was a pandemic in the city. Like a great plague broke out. Many thousands of Athenians died. Now, in Athens, in Greece, right, isn't that where the pantheon of gods, that's where they are in Greece, okay? So what happens is they start sacrificing to all of their gods, every single one of them. They're trying to figure out which one they offended and they want to appease it. So they, I mean, they're sacrificing to every god and nothing happens. And so the, the, the city of Athens called upon a man named Epimenides. He was a philosopher. They said, will you come? Will you just like put your eyes on this situation and see what you can figure out? And so Epimenides comes and here's what he comes to the conclusion of. He says, you have offended an unknown God. You've got all these gods you know, but there's a God you don't know and you've offended an unknown God. And so Epimenides says, you need to sacrifice to the unknown God. And so they sacrifice many sheep, many lambs to the unknown God. All right. So this story is told over and over and over again in the consciousness of the city of Athens. It's a story they would know. It's a story their kids would know. Uh, and by the way, the plague stopped after, after they sacrificed to the unknown God, the plague stopped. Okay. So that story is in their psyche. Well, 500 years later, a guy named Paul shows up to the city of Athens and he's looking around the city and he notices all the altars to all the different gods. But then Paul lays his eyes on one altar that says, this is an altar to the unknown God. And it's at that point, Acts 17, 22, that Paul stands up and he says, men of Athens, I notice you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars has description on it to the unknown God. This God whom you worship not knowing is the one I'm fixing to tell you about. So you see that story is embedded in their conscience and in, in the Athenians conscience. And Paul uses that bridge. He uses that story to reach them with the gospel because Paul is fixing to tell them about another sheep another lamb who was sacrificed to the unknown God. And this lamb was the lamb who took away the sin of the world. And so it's not, it's not a coincidence, I think, that that story was already in their consciousness. And it was a bridge for Paul to use to bring them to the gospel. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is going before you everywhere you go. He's going before you, to, before your coworkers, before your family. And he is doing something in them. He's preparing their hearts for you to come alongside. And when you share your witness, boom, there's a bridge there and it's going to happen. And people are going to get saved. He goes before us. So I want to share with you as I close today something known as the the Oikos mindset. And this comes from a guy named Pastor Tom Mercer. He uh, pastors a church in California called High Desert. In fact, this whole sermon today is brought to you by Tom Mercer. It's from his book, The Oikos Movement. And I just, it's such a great idea. But okay, that term Oikos in Greek means extended household. Okay, so there's your immediate family, but then there are those whom God has placed in your sphere of influence, like extended family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. And, and he says, his, his thesis is that God 
has it in everybody, every single person's life, he believes God has put at least 18 to 15 people in your sphere of influence that you can be used as an instrument of grace towards. Household salvations, all right? And we see that in Acts eleven fourteen. this word oikos is used, all right? Cornelius, uh, Peter tells Cornelius, he will tell you, uh, or the angel tells Cornelius, it says, he will tell you and everyone in your oikos, your household, how to be saved. Acts 16, 15, the household of Lydia. She and her whole household were baptized. Again, in Acts 16, 16, the Philippian jailer. Believe in the Lord Jesus, Paul tells uh, the Philippian jailer, along, and you will be saved along with everybody in your household, your oikos. So there is this sphere. Every single one of us have a sphere around us. He says of 18 to 15 people, that is your oikos. That is your household. That is where God has sent you. Remember at the beginning of this message, I talked about the 37 lines that go around the earth. I talked about the 2 billion people, the 12,000 unreached people groups. I have a question. Did that overwhelm you? Did that paralyze you? You know, our statement, we pursue God's presence, grow in Christ's image, and share the hope of Jesus with all people. That statement for me as a pastor sometimes can be paralyzing because the truth is I can't reach all people. There's no way I can win the world and tell everybody about Jesus. I'm just one person. If we try to reach everybody, there is a, there is a chance we won't reach anybody because we're just paralyzed. There's too much. And, and I thought about this. I remember when I was, as a kid, when I was learning to, to dove hunt in South Georgia. And man, if you're ever in a barn burner of a dove hunt, it is the funnest thing ever. But there will be times when like a group of doves will come over, like 10, 15 doves at one time, and they just fly over your head. And here's what I learned, and this is what I was taught. If you just try to hit, if you just try to shoot out there in that group of birds, you won't hit anything. But what you actually have to do is you have to pick one bird out of that 15, and that's the bird you're going for. If you try to shoot them all, you'll miss them. But if you, if you aim for the one, if you target the one, you'll hit it. And so what Tom Mercer says, what I'm telling you today is we got to reach the world. But how is it that we reach the world? We reach the world when every single person, when every single Christian becomes responsible for their oikos. When you become responsible for your eight to 15 people. Because the truth is, uh, uh, the way we're going to reach the world, I'm just one guy. This is true. I'm one guy. And I don't know your oikos. I don't know the people. I don't know your coworkers. I don't know your neighbors. I don't know many of you, your family. But if, if you go to your sphere of influence, God has already given you influence. You know, this is another thing. Like people are thinking, okay, we're supposed to be witnesses. Let's go. Let's go out on the streets and hold signs. And again, I don't think, I think there's many ways that people come to Christ. I'm not putting down door-to-door witnessing. I'm not putting down going on the streets and telling people about Jesus because I know the Holy Spirit's used it before and people have gotten saved. I'm, I'm open to divine appointments where you run into someone at the grocery store and strike up a conversation and you lead them to the Lord. I hear those testimonies too. Those are all valid things. But here is what I know. Here is what I know, that God has put you somewhere. God has sowed you somewhere. 
oh, you think you're in that neighborhood because you got a good deal. No, God sowed you into that neighborhood. God sowed you into that job. God sowed you into that family. And he put you there because you have a sphere of influence around you, eight to 15 people that he wants you to reach. Yeah, he wants you to reach them. You know, my neighbor, he would be so devastated if he knew I was telling this story about him. But my neighbor, one of the greatest guys ever. Um, and you know what? He is the one, probably one of the most mission-minded people I've ever met. First of all, he, he serves everybody in our neighborhood. He helps them get pine cone, the pine cones out of their yard. He'll help them. Uh, he helped me carry a tree off in my yard. I mean, he's always out helping people in our neighborhood. But let me tell you what he's also doing. He's always planting seeds for the gospel. We got two neighbors on either side of us that I don't know if they attend church, but he's, he asked me, hey, let's be praying for them. And you know, sometimes he'll be out there doing some yard work with them and he'll ask them. He'll say, you know, the Lord's coming soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> and he's just, he, he is a, has a witness everywhere he goes. And man, that's, that is what the church is called to be. And so I want to, Today, I want to just give you, we're, we're, we're going to be a people who reach our sphere of influence. And so I'm going to ask you to make a list. And we're going to do four things with this list. All right. How are we going to be witnesses? How are we going to be on mission? I don't want to make, I don't want to make it overcomplicated. Let's make it easy. Let's make it easy. This doesn't have to be hard. Okay. Four things really quickly. Number one, we're going to make a list. I want you to sit down and I want you to make a list of your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe people you have hobbies with, shared interests, maybe uh, friends, and maybe people that you go to school with. If you're a soccer mom and you're always at a game every night of the week, well, God's put your kid on a team. And don't think that God put your kid on that team just so they could shine as a star. God put your kid on that team so they could shine the light of Jesus. There's moms you could reach sitting there at practices in this 100 degree weather. Yeah, you can bring up hell in this 100 degree weather. Tell them how hot it is. No, I don't recommend that. But just, uh, just we have a sphere of influence. And I want you to, there's people you can think of, 8 to 15 people. Now here's what you're going to do with that list you're gonna to commit to pray for it. You're gonna call out people by name. You're gonna call them out by name before God and say, God, these people need you. I'm bringing them before you. This is my oikos. This is my sphere of influence. I'm asking you to touch these people. Third, I encourage you to make a small investment in their life. It doesn't have to be huge. Just let people know you're thinking about them. Maybe you are going to soccer practice with that soccer mom. Maybe you, uh, you befriend somebody on the team and you pick them up a coffee on the way to, on the way to practice and you hand, say, hey, just thinking about you. Maybe it's a neighbor. You see them out working in the yard. You go over. I don't know. Maybe you bake them cookies. Just something. You're making a small investment in their life. All right, now here's the fourth thing. I want you to invite them to church. All right, we're coming up on a season. We're going to have our building project done. We're going to have a day where we want people to come. And I'm going to, I, we're not just going to cold turkey invite somebody, but we're going to be doing these things. We're going to write their names down. We're going to pray over them. We're going to make a small investment. And then we're going to invite them to church. You know what's interesting? Tom Rayner of Lifeway Research, he did this study 
where he sent people out all over into the United States and they were asking questions to unchurched people. And they found a crazy conclusion. They said 96% of unchurched people are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. Can you believe that? 96% if they are invited. But here's an even crazier stat. Only 2% ever invite anyone to church. 2%. (laughs) Oh man. Now listen, it ain't all about, it's not, this is not a church growth. You think, oh, you're just doing this evangelism because you want to grow a bigger church. No, I want to grow bigger Christians. I don't want to grow a bigger church. I want to grow bigger Christians. If we grow bigger Christians, the church will grow bigger. You have to grow bigger. You have to join the mission. You have to realize this ain't all about you and your life being happy and you being blessed and you and your little crew. No, God has a plan and a mission for you and what's on his heart. He's sending you into your world. Go into all of your world and share the gospel. We are called to be missionaries where we are. I think you can reach your oikos, your eight to 15 people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a church with a mission mindset, God. Help us to be a church that follows you into all of our world. Not not expecting someone else to do it. Not expecting someone else to influence our people that are in our sphere of influence, but us going and being intentional. It's just being intentional about sharing the gospel, being a witness where we are. I ask this all today in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're in a season of open doors. God's doing things. We'll see you soon.